You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you be blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. How is everyone doing today? Do you miss Ben? Every time I'm here, Ben's not here. I don't know. Like we, we catch up. He says he loves me, but anyway. <laughs> Looking forward to actually hearing, um, in a fortnight you guys have um, your Vision Sunday, so I'm looking forward to catching up with Ben and seeing actually what's on his heart. Um, this is one of these um, churches in Perth where I'd actually love to be here, um, but on February 5, I'm actually back at New Spring. Um, I'm currently on long service leave, so I haven't done this for three months. Um, just, um, just in case you're new to the church, don't worry, the real preacher's coming back next week. Okay, so um, do you guys know what um, series you guys are in? Do you know what it's called? Summer, you can talk back to a brother, I'm from Armadale, you can talk me down, <laughs> all right, summer specials, and um, what I wanted to do today is I actually just want to share um, a bit of my um, journey really, I want to share um, uh, just a thought of what's been um, really resonating with me and what I've been thinking about over the last 12 months. Um, ben um, gave me a call and said, Dave, I'm not going to be around. Can you come and speak at, at Sun Life? I said, absolutely love to feel part of Sun Life every time I'm here. And he says, cool, Dave, just bring like whatever like is good and all that. And um, I thought, oh, we could do that. But I actually just want to share something that is actually really personal to me. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read a passage of Scripture from the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to land there in the end. And um, if you have your Sun Life app, you'll see there are some notes there as well. And um, the title of today's message is called Sitting with Yahweh. Um, But let me read this. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10 to 13. Sun Life, are you ready to go? That's about like maybe like nine-tenths. The rest of you, are you ready to go? Like I said, man, I need some love. I've been a while since I've done this. So, verse 10. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? That's pretty harsh, isn't it? Scum. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. This is God's word. Does anyone like surprises here? We just come out of Christmas, anyone get some good surprises? Anyone love surprises? Sometimes you do, don't you? The good surprises. I bet you on Christmas Day, some of you got some good surprises, some of you got some surprises like, yeah, that surprised me in not the best possible way. (laughs) A surprise is something that is unexpected or something that is astonishing. A surprise can be big or small, can't it? And um, for better or for worse, surprises come to our life every single day. And like I said, they can be big or small. 
One recent surprise happened to me last uh, couple of months, and this is a relatively small one. Something that we do in our church um, quite often now is that we um, tend to close down Sunday services and we call everyone in and say, let's actually have a church dinner together. Everyone bring something. Let's just like, like, well, can Sunday morning, everyone come at night. Let's just sit down. We deck out the auditorium and the, and the hall and the outside, and we've got tables and all that, and, and, and we kind of do that. And I really like it because people come and we get to hang out with each other. We get to talk. And, and things like that and um, as far as I can kind of think to my mind that's probably the closest thing that we do that resembles the agape or the love feast that the early church used to do all the time um, that we read through scripture and um, they're actually really amazing the stories that come out of them are just quite exquisite every single time um, one thing that um, I, I kind of do find is that I have high expectations of the night but pretty low expectations as far as the food that's going to be coming, if you can understand that, especially when you have teenagers and, and who just bring like a cheeseburger or, or like young adults who go to Red Rooster and, and, and things like that. So, so, so my expectations of, of the food isn't that high. A couple of dinners ago, I literally got this surprise, and um, I'm still thinking about it like right now, as you can, as you can hear. I was walking past the tables, all this food that's on the table, and like I said, my expectations aren't too high as far as the, the food's concerned, the conversation, the, the community, the family vibe, awesome. Um, but I'm walking past the table, and like something catches my eye out of the corner of my eye. And like there's this box of KFC, which obviously a teenager like, went to KFC and bought this fried chicken, and then there's this, there's this incredible like, like cheesy lasagna. But right in the middle of it, I see something that looks like a chicken biryani. That may mean nothing to you, but for an Anglo-Indian, that caught my eye. So I'm looking at this thing, and I'm thinking, no, no chance. We're in Armidale. There's no chance. I'm looking at it. As I'm looking at this, this, this pot of beautiful, like, it looks beautiful, like chicken biryani, I'm thinking to myself, uh, far out, like there's no way this could actually be. Nostalgia starts to rummage through my mind. My mouth starts to water. And then I catch myself because doubt comes and just demolishes all possibility. I think to myself, there is no way this could be a chicken biryani. Man, we are a long way from Chennai right now in the middle of Armadale. But I dig in anyway. And let me tell you, I'm thinking about it right now. Man, lunchtime is coming. I'm thinking about it right now. That rice was cooked perfectly. I had a spoon of it. And let me tell you, that biryani, it was spicy. It was hot. That did not come from a patak's jar at all. No, the chicken was succulent. In the middle of Armadale, at a church dinner, at this random church, between... A bucket of KFC and lasagna was the best tasting chicken biryani I've ever had. And I have not told any of my relatives that because they would be deeply offended. <laughs> Huge surprise. Astonishing. Small one, but still a surprise. There are small surprises. There are even bigger surprises. The biggest surprise I got is when this girl called Andrea, who's now my wife, she actually agreed to go on our first date. That was an astonishing surprise. I'm still surprised she loves me. <laughs> We've all been surprised. We've had positive surprises. And you know what? We've also had negative surprises, for better or for worse. Surprises come. Expectations um, that have been unmet in astonishing ways as well. But a surprise is something that's unexpected. It's something that's absolutely astonishing. When was the last time you were surprised? When's the last time? Think about it. When's the last time? 
Surprise, for better or for worse, is the landscape of anyone who's accepted Jesus' radical invitation to enter and to inhabit this brand new world which is called the kingdom of God. It's an invitation of surprise. Jesus' message found in the Gospels, Mark 1 verse 15, says like this, the time promised, Jesus speaking, says the time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the realm of God's reign. That's what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of heaven. Um, that, that Matthew uses that language, which is kind of different. And it's a really surprising invitation that we are actually called and invited to inhabit this entirely different space, this new world uh, called the kingdom of God. It's absolutely astonishing. The means by which we actually enter, that's surprising as well. Jesus as he's speaking in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he starts off by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' kingdom is filled with people who live in this undisputed reality. They know they are spiritually bankrupt. Does anyone here know you're spiritually bankrupt? Or is this like the first time you're finding that out? No? When I gave my life to Jesus, this was an undisputed reality. Today, it's still an undisputed reality. As a sinner, someone who's poor in spirit, I realize that right here, right now, I am the focus of God's never-ending, focused love and pursuit for me. Isn't that beautiful? Wherever I am. Man, I'm in Leaderville right now. In two weeks' time, I'm going to be in Armada. doesn't matter where I am. I'm the focus of his love. And I'm the focus of his pursuit. And I want to keep that in the forefront of my mind, that the way I enter and the way that I posture myself is I am poor in spirit. If there's going to be any boast that comes from me, you know how like some Christians boast? I mean, I read the Bible in a year, and I do this, and I do that, and I've all got these. If there's going to be any boast that comes from my heart and from my mind, I want to boast... Dude, man, I'm poorer than you. I am poorer in spirit. Could you imagine how the church would change and how the church would look if we go around and we actually have that boast? You know what? You poor in spirit, man. You ain't in poor spirit as me. Man, you should check me out. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's the invitation. That's pretty surprising, isn't it? It's offensive, really. It was, it's offensive now. It was definitely offensive then, trust me. So my journey began with Jesus in a surprising way. Blessed. Makarios, the Greek is. It means congratulations. It means welcome in. You're poor in spirit. Welcome. You're part of the kingdom. You're a kingdom citizen. You're a kingdom person. That was really, really surprising for me. Blessed to you, David Ryder, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. I wonder what other surprises the gospel brings for us in 2023. The gospel of Jesus Christ opens up this brand new world to us, not just in its announcement, but also in its power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it is the power, right? Power, Romans. One theologian says of the gospel, says, The gospel of Christ crucified has been unleashed as God's apocalyptic weapon against the powers that enslave the human race. The gospel is really surprising in its announcement, in its invitation, but also in its power, what it can do what it can really do. And the gospel writers are these master world builders in articulating how we could live faithfully in this brand new world, in this paradigm, the kingdom of God, which is breaking into this world. 
And as they do that, the um, New Testament and the Gospel writers, they provide pictures and metaphors that are purposed to help spark our imagination as we look to live as resurrection people here in 2023. And I want to mention just a couple of those before I kind of um, really um, land on the one that I've been thinking about for the last 12 months. So some of these images are pretty well known to us. A disciple... Everyone understands the word disciple, right? I wonder if um, we ever got a translation that was more in the Australian um, vocabulary if we'd replace that word disciple with a word like an apprentice. Every Australian understands an apprenticeship. Who's actually been through an apprenticeship here? No one's been through an apprenticeship? I can't see you, a bit dark. <laughs> Everyone understands an apprenticeship, right? That word disciples actually means apprenticeship. I'm an apprentice to Jesus. And it means that I'm a learner. I'm still learning. You know, I'm 43 years old. I know I don't look it. Look pretty good for my age. 43. Um, been in ministry for 22 years. Been a senior pastor almost 11 years. And the more I learn about Jesus, the more I realize, man, I know nothing. I am still a learner. I'm still a learner. And because I'm a learner, there are people who teach me. I understand I have a teacher. As an apprentice, I'm someone who practices certain ways of doing life. As a disciple, as an apprentice, I realize that this vocation, it requires discipline. It requires time. It requires patience. And as a disciple, as an apprentice, as a learner, it actually implies that I'm going to get some things Wrong. Has anyone gotten some things wrong in their walk with Jesus? Anyone gotten some things wrong in the last, like, four hours? Husbands or wives, did you have a fight out there? Like, <laughs> that happens all the time. It's absolutely normal as a disciple, as an apprentice. Another um, big um, uh, metaphor, big image is a family member. In fact, probably one of the biggest atonement motifs in the New Testament is that of, of family. Ephesians 1 verse 2 says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. J.I. Packer in his great book, Knowing God, says, What is a Christian? A Christian is anyone who knows God as Father. Anyone know God as Father? You're a Christian. What does that mean? You have siblings, right? I'm your sibling. This chocolate brother standing up here is your sibling. You have to put up with me for the rest of eternity. Just think about that. We are not the father, we're children, right? And because we're siblings, we actually belong to each other. We belong to each other. We're not just equal to each other, we belong to each other. Do you know what that means? That the, the gifts and the grace that God has placed on my life, it belongs to you. It was interesting, I came in this morning and everyone said, oh Dave, you're on long service, like, thank you so much for coming and I can appreciate that. But the reality is, we're family, I'm a brother, everything that's on my life this is a privilege. It's yours. Take it. Take it. Use it. Anything that's on my life, ask for it. And because we belong to each other, I can trust you that you're not going to misuse it. You're not going to abuse me. You're not going to manipulate me. You're going to love me. But because we are siblings, we belong to each other. That is a huge atonement motif in the New Testament. In fact, that is part of what it means to live in the victory of Jesus Christ. Because out of all these people, he has created one people. Us, the church of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters have the same Father, have the same Spirit, have the same Lord. That's us, amen? amen? Man, I'm so happy. I've got some brothers and sisters in this world. 
And another um, picture is this one of being a sinner. Paul says in um, 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, he's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save the sinners of whom I am the worst. And I would say, Paul, no, you're not the worst. I'm the worst. You should like know me. So there are some familiar metaphors that are purposed to spark our imagination. Think about them deeply. What does it mean to actually uh, apply those images, those pictures, uh, those metaphors into our life? But there is one metaphor that really hit me last year, and I had not thought about this at all. But it's a metaphor that is read throughout Scripture. I'm going to read a couple of Scriptures, and, and then I'm going to tell you what it is. Luke 15, verse 1 to 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Eats with them. I reckon your encouragement about five cents is going to roll straight into this message, Jason. Matthew 22, verse 1 to 3. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants out to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Matthew 8, verse 10 to 11. Jesus speaking of the centurion, an outsider, right? In that particular context. When Jesus heard this, talking about the faith of the centurion, he was amazed and he said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, which includes Perth, right? And will take their place at the feast of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. The biblical metaphor of the eschatological wedding feast is thread throughout the biblical narrative. And it is presented as a picture to spark and to enlarge our imaginations. And me, as someone who's been serving in a church for over two decades, hadn't even thought about it. Missed it. It's there throughout the whole lot. It's there everywhere. It's a metaphor. And I'm just wondering about myself. How could that possibly shape the church in this particular cultural moment? How could that one picture shape me? Yeah, I'm a sinner, which means I'm the focus of God's pursuing love. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and you pursue sinners, not those who think they're righteous. I'm a disciple. I'm an apprentice. I've got a long way to go. Long way to go. I sat with this, in a party with this beautiful gentleman who's in his 70s and he's just retired. He's ministered in America, ministered in Australia. He's been in ministry for over 50 years. We just ended the conversation. I said, like, sir, I just want to thank you for serving the church for decades. I've only been doing this a few years compared to you and I've got so much to learn. I'm an apprentice. I'm a disciple. If I'm going to boast in anything, let it be like this. I'm poorer in spirit than you and I know it. I'm a brother who belongs to you, and I want to take delight in you, and I pray that you would take delight in me. And along with this, I'm also a guest who is invited to my father's table. What possible surprise could there be in that particular image, in that particular metaphor? Well, have you ever thought about who's sitting next to you? <laughs> 
for better or for worse, there could be a surprise. Christians are supposed to live in what theologians call a proleptic manner, a proleptic way. It means that the way that we live, the way that we inhabit the kingdom, the way we are right now is supposed to point to, is supposed to anticipate a future reality right now. That's what that word means. It means that our life collectively as the family of God, you can't actually do this individually, by the way. All of the yous in the Bible are kind of y'alls. I remember growing up and like putting on the, the armor of God, only to learn later on, actually, the church community collectively puts on the armor of God. It's a y'all moment. There's something big about the y'all of us. I sound American, right? I'm an Anglo-Indian from Armdale, preaching in Leaderville, who's speaking like an American. That is just messed up. We are supposed to live presently as if what to come has been accomplished now. That's the kind of way we're supposed to live. So to live proleptically, there is this great um, opportunity to using this metaphor, this image, this reality of the eschatological wedding feast to actually shape the way that we live and, and think about what does it actually mean to be a good table guest? What does it mean to have appropriate table manners? So I wasn't really able to get a table and chairs out here, but we're going to use a bit of our imagination. We've got a couple of chairs here. And um, just imagine it's a table feast, right? Have you ever wondered why Jesus eats so much in the Gospels? Now you know. You wonder why he's prophetic? All this stuff means stuff, something. It's really, really important. So I want to talk about me for a moment. What I've been thinking about and um, what I've been dwelling on in the last 12 months. What is the kind of table manners of Dave Ryder, senior pastor of New Spring Church. You know, spiritual man that I am. Well, there have been many times I'm sitting at this table, my father's table, and I look over and I see someone, and I'm like, man, what in the world is that dude doing here? Man, I'm st- seriously, I, mean, I know you. I know what you've done. I know what you've been doing. I know you guys will never think this. I'm talking about me. I'm looking over and saying, man, there is no way. You don't. And what happens is that I take on a different posture to what I should. Because the posture which I should have is that I have been invited by my father. And then all of a sudden, I look at someone as, like, as if I'm the one who's invited them and actually making them feel unwell. You know what I'm saying? Anyone else like that? Or you don't want to admit that in church? It's okay. I've done that. I still do that from time to time. I'm actually trying to change my mind. I'm trying to renew my mind so I can actually have better table manners in that. Sometimes, like this morning, I saw, like, I was over there, and um, like I said, I haven't preached in like over three months, so I was going through my notes, and I'm stressing out. <laughs> I'm like, can I even do this anymore? So I'm over there going through notes, and I see the kids running around, and I love it. Uh, like in our church, kids run around all over the place. There's so much noise. Um, but, but sometimes you can think to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. There, there are kids at this table. No, there's a separate kids' table. When I was growing I'm Anglo-Indian. When I grew up, I went to functions, I was always a kid. I was always at the kids' table. <laughs> it's interesting to actually see um, Jesus' um, um, view of children in the Gospels as well, um, to the point where he actually brings a little one in the middle of everyone. He says, you want to be great? Look at this little one. Everyone wants to be great ones in the kingdom. 
You want to be great? Look at this. Beautiful young image bearer. There's a lot we can learn from our kids. Um, there have been times I'm sitting next to someone and I'm like, oh my goodness, waiter, waiter, where, waiter, where are you? You put me in the wrong seat. This person here, this is an activist, you know? This person going around saying that they're woke. They're woke. And I'm highly offended at that because when this person says they're woke, that implies that I'm asleep and I am not asleep. I'm all... Get this person away from me. Or other times I might go, wait a minute, I'm in the wrong seat, man. I'm in sun life. I'm supposed to be in a different, I'm supposed to be a different table right now. Where is the Anglo-Indian table? Where's the Anglo-Indian table? I want to go and hang out with my peeps. I don't want to be like around with other people. I just want to hang out with like um, and there are other times where I don't know about you, but I've been in that place. I know other people have been in that place. Where you get the waiter and say, you know what, come on, come over here. I need you to go get me the menu, right? Because I'm at this table, I just want to make sure I'm going to be fed right. As if you can't feed yourself. Right? I've been like that so many times. And I've come into like sort of look at this, this metaphor seriously. And, and I'm this table guest. And I'm, and I'm trying to think and trying to grapple with the fact that as a table guest who is invited by my father to sit here... I'm, I'm poor in spirit. I don't even belong here, but somehow I'm sitting here. What does it mean to have good table manners? Especially when I look around and someone's sitting next to me and I'm surprised, not for better, I'm surprised and I'm astonished that they're even over there. What does it mean to have good table manners in that? I want to be a hospitable guest. And this message is thread throughout the New Testament. Paul, in particular, brings it up many times. Romans 14, verse 1, um, is a key place where this takes place as well. He says to the church, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Romans is written with a couple of objectives. First objective is Paul is going to the church in Rome for the very first time, and he plans to go to Spain, so he needs a home base. And because the church has never interacted with him, he's never been there, he decides to unpack his theology. What does it mean, justification by faith? What does all these things mean? Who is Jesus as Messiah? He starts to do that. But there is another objective that he has because he gets wind. He hears that there is division, that there's disputes between two groups. There's one group that he calls the weak and there's another group that he calls the strong. And the argument is about cultural identity markers. And they're quarreling. And they're having a crack at each other. And he says over here, you know what? I, I just want you to know, as for the one who is weak, as for this group, you need to welcome the other group. But not so you can sit down and have an argument. You know those people? So we need to have a chat. And you know the reason I want to have a chat is not to enjoy an incredible, delicious, like flat white from a great coffee shop. No, they want to sit down because they want to argue over a different, differing of, of opinions. Paul says, no, you must welcome each other. You're going to have different opinions. You're going to have to learn what it means to actually live as siblings in the house of God. So as a table guest, there's one obvious posture that I should have. What does it mean to be a good table guest, to have good manners? You know, I'll look over and say, man, dude, poof, I'm going to be honest, I didn't expect to see you here, but you probably didn't expect to see me here either. Isn't it amazing? Like, we're sitting here at the Father's table. We got invited. It's like, dude, are you poor in spirit? Man, me too. 
give me a high five. We're poor in spirit together. We're in this table. Like, how incredible. What a delight that we've been invited. We don't deserve it. We could never have earned it, but we've been invited to sit at our Father's table. That is incredible. That's incredible. You look over and you say, oh, man, like, seriously, life is sucked at the moment for you. Man, let me actually come. It looks like life has come, and because life has come, and there's things that have happened which are out of your control, and maybe some things which you actually participated in, you've lost your strength. Let me add some of my strength. Let me actually be compassionate, which is actually adding my strength to someone who's lost their strength. Let me come alongside you. That's some good table manners right over there. I might look at someone who's really passionate about a social issue. We've got some young people in our church who are really passionate about some social issues. They rub some of the older parts of our congregation the wrong way, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I want to sit with them. And, like, I've got these young people. And I say, you know what? I want to sit with you. And, and, like, you seem really, really concerned and really passionate about these issues. I'm actually quite unfamiliar on the subject. Would you mind actually, like, sort of talking to me about this issue and letting me know why you're so passionate? Because I think I might be able to learn something here. It's a posture of humility. I'd love to learn. What does it mean to be a good table guest at my father's table? Because I'm invited. I'm not the one who's invited others. That's the father. He's invited. I'm in the presence of others who've also invited. How does that change my table manners in 2023? I've got to tell you, I've been thinking about this for 12 months, and I think I'm slowly changing. It's not happening fast, but I'm slowly changing, praise God. The power of this posture is that it shapes us to demonstrate a different way of being human. That's the point. A different way of living as resurrection people. That's the point. That's the church. Secular historians like someone like Tom Holland has made the comment that it is Christianity that gave the world its humanity. I sometimes wonder if historians looked at the church in this day and age, you know, there's such a variety of the church and we all know stories. I wonder what they'd say. I wonder if they would still say that the church is the, the, the place where they gave the world its humanity. And I'm sure there are large pockets that do. But I think that possibly we as the church and me personally, we could still learn some table manners, that we could actually recapture some of that. Because in this community that you call Sun Life Church, you will have some surprising people who come and join you. You probably already know that. You may be one of those surprising people, actually. So how can we use our spiritual weapons? Listen to this. How can we use our spiritual weapons of welcome, hospitality, compassion, and love in that setting? We're going to talk a little bit about that scripture I said we're going to land on. There's a moment that the Pharisees missed. Let's read that scripture again, Matthew 9, verse 10 to 13. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home at dinner, uh, as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added. I love the way he always adds stuff. It's like, it's like he's making a point, but then he adds stuff just to like, mm, really make it. Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. 
I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. In this context, the Pharisees were surprised, utterly shocked, astonished with who Jesus was sitting with. I think they would have been even more shocked and absolutely astonished if the penny ever dropped about who these tax collectors and disreputable sinners were actually sitting with. Jesus said, go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Jesus is quoting from Hosea 6. And this comes to the heart of what it means to be God's people. Why do you offer sacrifices? To deal with sin, right? Why do you want to deal with sin? So you can get close to Yahweh, right? That makes sense. Pharisees knew this. They had this this motivation that was absolutely driving them. Yahweh had promised that he would come. And the Pharisees knew that when Yahweh comes, these Romans, they're going to be out of here. We're going to get our land back that's been stolen from us. We are once again going to be God's chosen people through which he, he establishes his reign and rule over all the earth. The Pharisees know this. When Yahweh comes back, man, we are waiting. We are wanting that thing to happen. But they also have in their mind there's a reason why Yahweh hasn't come. Surely Yahweh should have come by now. Why hasn't he come? In their thinking, Yahweh has not come because there is sin. There is sin. So it makes sense in their mind, let's get rid of the sin so that Yahweh will come. That makes sense, right? The only problem is they went about it in manipulative and coercive ways. They were manipulating people. They were bossing. They were bullying people. Because they had in their mind, if we actually get rid of the sin out of this land, Yahweh would come and the kingdom of God will be established. The rationale was pretty okay, reasonable, makes sense, doesn't it? Their motive was they wanted Yahweh to come. The means by which they did that was actually pretty dehumanizing. Not like Yahweh, as we find out. So in this moment, you have Jesus. He's with tax collectors, disreputable sinners. You have the Pharisees, and the Pharisees have this motive. They have this want for Yahweh to come. Let me check out your Christology. In this moment, where is Yahweh? I mean, who is Jesus? Where is Yahweh? How's your Christology, son, life? He's right there, sitting with tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Think about this. If they had put on mercy, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Part of the Beatitudes, blessed. Makarios, welcome. Congratulations, you're in. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful. Right? If they had the table manners of mercy towards the surprising guests at this proleptic feast, they would have stepped into this moment they would have stepped into this situation and they would have taken a seat. They would have. And here's the astonishing surprise. They would have been sitting with, they would have been laughing with, they would have been feasting with Yahweh. The very thing they're wanting. He's right there. And it's not by your sacrifices 
is by your mercy. Surprise. Jesus was and still is a surprise. We're going to have the band come up and about to wrap up. Jesus' proclamation and ministry transgressed the supposed boundaries of God's grace and thus shocked the sensibilities of the guardians of religious tradition. He blessed the poor, he healed the sick, he cast out demons, he befriended women, and he had table fellowship with sinners. His words and actions seemed blasphemous to his critics. And the disturbing ministry of Jesus led him to the cross. Surprise. That's a huge surprise. Jesus, fully God, fully human. But he's the new humanity. New humanity. The intimacy of his relationship with God and his solidarity with sinners and the oppressed. They were new and it was offensive. But he is the human who is radically free for God's coming reign. And therefore he is radically free for communion and service to the neighbor. Surprise. This Jesus, the one who demonstrates true humanity, while being fully God, is the embodiment, the norm, the promise of the new humanity in relation to God and to others. It's incredible. If we were to sit with Yahweh, we would be utterly shocked and surprised with our fellow guests at the table and as we sit the question I'm asking myself is Dave how are your table manners going so this Sunday we're going to go and drink coffee I got an iced coffee this morning that was amazing as we share meals as we listen to stories from each other you might be very much surprised with who Jesus sits with and who has been invited to our Father's table. It's the metaphor of the wedding feast that is purposed to spark our imagination, to stretch our hearts, so that we can faithfully live, faithfully live as resurrection people here in Australia, 2023, Sun Life Church. Bring it on. Let's change the world for Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness towards us. We thank you that you've invited us to sit at this table. I thank you for your word that you've provided to us. I ask that this day that you've sparked our imagination, you've stretched our hearts. I ask that as I've been speaking, a very simple message, but I ask that there is profundity in it that actually does challenge us to love, to show compassion, to show care. And to be this true new humanity, this new community, this one people called the Church of Jesus Christ. A monument to the victory of Jesus Christ in Perth, Western Australia. I bless this church. I bless Vision Sunday in the name of Jesus Christ. I bless Ben as he comes and he leads. I bless the eldership. I bless the leadership. I ask that ears would be opened, that ears would be undulled, that hearts would be awakened this year. And there will be a growing awareness that Sun Life Church is here as a significant maneuver of your great plan. 
ask we bless you this day in Jesus name Amen how about we stand let's respond to God's word in worship and in praise and adoration let's lift up our hearts and our voices thanks guys